welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature and the human heart. It's all alive. It's all connected. It's all intelligent. It's all relatives. Gender and sex are different things, and it's very useful to distinguish them because one is the cultural side, the other one the biological side. They're always connected. So when people disconnect them, that happens, of course, that people say gender is purely cultural. There is nothing in our life that is purely cultural. There's also nothing that is purely natural. And so uh, I think they always remain connected. I think the gender concept is applicable to other primates. You know, a chimpanzee or bonobo is adult when they're 16 years old. So they have an enormous long lifetime in which they pick up all sorts of behavior, including they model themselves on, on adults uh, and pick up their behavior. And so the gender concept, a cultural transmission of sex-typical behavior, let's say, is applicable to the other primates. In this program, the world-renowned primatologist Professor Franz de Vol explores the nature of sex and gender among our cousins, the apes, and how gender diversity is a common and pervasive potential on nature's masculine-feminine continuum. In the quest to overcome human gender inequality, he suggests that our focus needs to be on the inequality. I'm Neil Harvey. This is Busting the Myth of Primate Patriarchy, the nature of sex and gender in our ape relatives. This topic, gender, well, I thought, you know, let's pick a topic that's not controversial and uh, that everyone agrees on. And so that's why I picked it. Um, and I'm going to be speaking at it from the perspective of primatology and biology. I'm a biologist by training, even though I've been in the psychology department for 25 years. It's telling that one of the worst slurs you can hurl at someone is to call them an animal. As the professor of psychology Nick Haslam observes, yes, we are animals, but we're animals who like to believe we're not merely animals. Of course, he notes, calling someone a snake or a rat or a toad is very different from calling them lion-hearted or eagle-eyed. Then again, as the Russian philosopher George Gurdjieff once observed, the best way to keep a sheep a sheep is to convince it that it's an eagle. We've sort of convinced ourselves that in some imagined animal hierarchy, we are the eagles. Nevertheless, we are indeed animals. And rather than denying or defying our animal nature, we do well to understand our kinship with other close animal relatives. Professor Franz de Waal's formidable lifelong body of work has vividly shown that we are definitely still apes. On the tree of life, we're very closely related to our chimpanzee and bonobo cousins. We can learn a great deal about ourselves by studying them, as he has devoted much of his life to doing. He has woven his decades of study on the behavior and social intelligence in primates into best-selling books, including Chimpanzee Politics and Our Inner Ape and Mama's Last Hug. Then he decided to take a fresh look at a very old and increasingly controversial paradigm, 
the relationship between sex and gender in primates. It resulted in his book, Different, Gender Through the Eyes of a Primatologist. Professor Franz Duvall spoke at a Bioneers conference. So first, let me say something about sex and gender. People confuse it, and our language is beginning to confuse the two. Uh, sex relates to the biology. Sex is binary, mostly binary, male and female. There's an in-between category. It relates to genitals and sexual dimorphism, size, secondary characteristics, all biological characteristics, hormones, and so on. Humans are actually not very different to males and females. The males are physically a lot stronger. Even the best-trained female athletes only reach average male strengths. And so there's, there's a huge difference in physical strengths, but otherwise the differences are not nearly as great as we see in many other primates. Now, gender has to do with expectations. So th this guy has an expectation that he needs to be taller than a woman. And gender has to do with so social norms, education, culture, how you're supposed to behave as a male or as a female, uh, what we teach our kids and so on. And so that's the gender side. And unfortunately, in English, we have begun to confuse these two, gender and sex, because English, unfortunately, has only one word. Having sex and being of a certain sex has only one word for that. And that's why people, I think, have started using gender now. And now they will say, what is the gender of your dog? While my dog doesn't have a lot of cultural expression, I think, of uh, gender characteristics. And so that's an inappropriate question, actually. And, and gender reveal parties is an inappropriate use of the word gender because before birth, children don't have gender yet. So uh, in, in biology, of course, we're very used to that debate. We have the nature versus nurture debate. And in biology, we all know that you cannot tease them apart. You I know that the media often does that. The media says this characteristic is 90% genetic. Uh, that's nonsense. That's an impossibility. You cannot tease these things apart. And so nature and nurture are always intertwined and always go together. And so sex and gender automatically are related. Now, gender I usually divide in masculine and feminine, not male and female, and everything in between. And so gender is a far more fluid and flexible concept than sex. In looking at gender, in this fraught age of gender fluidity, pronouns, and political and generational discontinuity, Professor Duvall goes where angels fear to tread. Western science has a long and torturous history of abusing and distorting biology and animal studies for political ends. It's been used to bolster racist, misogynistic, homophobic, and rigidly hierarchical gender social structures. The ideologies of sociobiology and biological essentialism have served as justifications to dehumanize, exploit, and subjugate people of color, women, and gay and non-binary people. Western science has also promulgated the centuries-long myth that only humans are capable of intelligence and emotions. Today, it's hard to find a scientist who would agree with that. Although these museum-quality paradigms have been fading in recent decades, the burdens of history still weigh heavily. So with fresh eyes, what can we learn from our closest animal cousins? In the other primates, our closest relatives are bonobos and chimpanzees. And the sex difference is not that great either. It's not nearly as great as, let's say, in the gorilla, where the male is twice the size of the female. And so they are more similar. People often forget about the bonobo, and there's a reason for that, is that the anthropologists don't like the bonobo. The bonobo is female-dominated. 
is peaceful and is very sexy. And the anthropologists have built their career on evolution of the human species, built on warfare and eliminating everyone and conquering the earth. And the bonobo doesn't fit in that picture. It's sort of a hippie who doesn't fit in the, in the society. Uh, but I pay attention to bonobos are exactly, genetically, exactly equally close to us as the chimpanzee. There is really no good reason to eliminate them from the picture, and so they need to be part of it. And let me first explain the difference between chimpanzees and bonobos. Chimpanzees are very male-dominant, first of all, but also very dominance-oriented. They're constantly working on their status, and this is, for example, here you see two males, two male chimpanzees. They're, they're actually the same size, but the one on the left is the dominant one who stands up, puts his hair up, looks big, and tries to intimidate the other one. And that's the, the dominance uh, behavior between chimpanzees. Franz de Waal's decades of studies of chimpanzees and bonobos convince him that the great majority of the members of primate groups, including us humans, are clearly differentiated by sex. Those differences are fundamental and pronounced. Yet at the same time, he finds that sexual and gender diversity abound. Same-sex relations are quite common among many animal species, including primates. Genes can also be fluid, taking less common permutations that express nature's non-binary spectrum. He also points out that women primatologists, when they arrived in the 1960s, changed the way the discipline looked at primate societies and the role of female primates, which until then was neglected. Which brings us back to the sisterhood of bonobos. This is a bonobo. The bonobo has a childlike voice, much higher pitched than the chimpanzee, and has very different behavior and looks very different. Anatomically, they look more human-like. They have been compared to Australopithecine. And so even though genetically they're equally close to us as the chimpanzee, anatomically, I would say we are more like bonobos, or bonobos are more like us, and they are more similar to us. The females are dominant. They have a collective dominance over the males. They don't have an individual dominance. If you have, sometimes happens at a zoo, you have one male and one female bonobo, then the male is dominant. The male is bigger and stronger than the female. As soon as you add a second female, the female is going to be dominant over the male. So that's how bonobo society set up basically a sisterhood, and that's how they keep the males uh, in control. And so uh, the bonobos have a lot of sex. This is actually quite typical, belly-to-belly uh, -belly sex between male and female in this case, but they also have sex in positions that you will find very hard to imagine, like hanging upside down by their feet, for example, some, something we cannot do. And so they're very creative in their sexual behavior. The sex serves bonding, and so there's a lot of female-female sex in the bonobo because the females have this powerful sisterhood which needs to be maintained, and sex and grooming is the way they do that. The easiest way to get sexual behavior in the bonobo is to give them food. The, because food introduces competition, as it does in all animals, and as soon as there's competition, the bonobos will have sex to eliminate it, and then they share the food. In 1871, Charles Darwin concluded this, quote, Man is more courageous, pugnacious, and energetic than women, and has more inventive genius. 
His patriarchal viewpoint reflected the larger perspective of the 19th and 20th century male-dominated discipline of evolutionary science, that evolution created the binary of male and female, and our behavior and nature reflect this biological duality. That binary has been translated into deeply unequal, cultural, political, and legal structures that dictate how we're supposed to be and act. The problem is, that does not mirror nature's rich sexual and gender diversity and evolutionary potentials, nor does it remotely match the actual living expression of human beings being human. Professor Duvall found the role of play among young primates to be especially revealing about the nature-nurture gender dynamic. For instance, in the wild, female chimpanzees and apes pick up rocks and wooden logs, hold them, and put them on their back and play mother with them. They build nests for them, and young females cluster around the babies like fervent babysitters. If you have a discussion about why boys are attracted to trucks and why girls are attracted to dolls, certainly the attraction to dolls is natural. In all the primates, we see the attraction to infants and young females. The attraction to trucks, by the way, this is a strange thing, is experiments have been done with dolls and trucks and giving them to monkeys, and the males, they do play with the trucks. It's, for me, it's an amazing thing because they, it doesn't relate to anything in the natural environment, but they are attracted to these things. So what do the males do? Franz Duvall finds that male primates are not particularly interested in babies. They spend a prodigious amount of time doing roughhousing and mock fighting, called rough-and-tumble play. Franz Duvall says it's found among all primates, including in human studies. Boys just like to wrestle a whole lot more than girls do. But inevitably, evolution is way more complicated and nuanced than that and so-called alpha males have gotten a bad rap in a politicized reality distortion field of badly done science. The mock fighting of the males is a preparation for adult competition, but it's also very important for them to learn skills of how to contain their strengths and how to control their strengths. For example, a gorilla male with his enormous physical strengths, he only needs to press a little bit on a gorilla baby and he will kill it. But he does play with with gorilla babies. Adult males play with babies, and everything goes well, which means that he has learned over his lifetime, this is not instinct or something, he has learned over his lifetime how to control his strengths. It's very important for males to get that kind of control because they have greater physical strengths than other members of the society. So that's what the roughhousing does, and it's a very important part of development. Now, something about male affairs and how we got into the patriarchy, basically. The story that the natural order between men and women is that men are dominant over women because look at all the primates. In all the primates, the the males are dominant over the females. This started with a study on baboons, a study of 100 years ago, which was disastrous uh, at a zoo in London. They threw 100 baboons together, and in the wrong sex ratio, they put, uh, I think, 95 males with five females. And it became a bloodbath. And uh, the one who did it, uh, Sukaman, a very famous scientist at the time, he wrote books about it. And so that's how we got to the story that patriarchy is what's in our genes, because that's what all the primates do. It comes from baboons, which are monkeys. We are apes. We're different from the monkeys. But regardless of that, 
it was a faulty experiment, basically. And we know that even in baboons in the wild, they don't fight like that. It's, it's not the same kind of social order that Zuckerman observed. If you look at alpha males in a chimpanzee society, I'm partly responsible for the use of the word alpha male in politics, because when I wrote chimpanzee politics, I used that word. And Newt Gingrich uh, <laughs> recommended it to the Republicans at the time. And I think that's how the word got entrenched in a political uh, language. And, and then the business people picked it up and, and they wrote business books about how to be an alpha male and reduced alpha male basically to bullies. Someone who beats you over the head every day and lets you know that he's boss and so on. And that's how they see what an alpha male is. But you know, most alpha male chimpanzees that I've known, and I've known many, they are very loved by their community. If they're good alpha males, they keep the peace, they break up fights, they support the underdog, they support juveniles against adults and females against males. Uh, they're very empathic usually, they share food very easily. So a good alpha male can become extremely popular and the result of that is that when he's gonna be challenged by another male, a younger male, the group is gonna defend his position because they wanna keep that alpha male. And it is very important for the harmony in the group and if you remove alpha males, we've done experiments with monkeys where you sometimes for a day remove high-ranking males, you get chaos in the group. And so it's a very important part of the group structure. Uh, alpha females, by the way, because also every group has an alpha female. Alpha females, um, they have a different way of resolving conflict. They usually do it afterwards. Instead of stepping in when the conflict occurs, which requires a lot of intimidation, uh, they step in afterwards and bring the parties together. And so. Uh, I described in my book, Mama's Last Hug, how Mama, the alpha female, would bring parties together, literally drag a male to another male to get them to groom each other, and so on. And so fix the relationships in the group. Like the myth that a primate patriarchy is deterministically encoded in our human biology, it turns out that male care for offspring is common among primates, and gender diversity and gender potential are pervasive and accepted. And what's that got to do with gender equality? More when we return. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers. This is Busting the Myth of Primate Patriarchy, the Nature of Sex and Gender in Our Ape Relatives. You can visit Bioneers.org to subscribe to our newsletters and podcasts. Check out deep dives on the topics that matter to you most and learn about our conferences. That's Bioneers.org. Although male primates are overall much less interested in babies, Professor Franz Duvall suggests that a closer look reveals a more complex picture. It comes down to what he calls the gender potentials that are always present, in this case, for male care. I've seen on conservative media that they talk about how paternity leave is uh, ridiculous. They can understand maternity leave, but not paternity leave. 
because men uh, are not supposed to be, t be taking care of the children. And, and if you look at the other primates, and that's sometimes used as an argument, if you look at the other primates, it's mostly female job to take care of offspring. Uh, and males do very little except for protecting the offspring sometimes. But you know, sometimes a female loses her life. So the mother dies, and all of a sudden there's an orphan available in the group asking for attention. Other females will not adopt that orphan because they have their own kids and they have no room for an additional one. It's very hard to live in the forest and travel through the trees with multiple children. And so the females don't adopt that infant, but the males do. So these males are usually not, we know that from DNA studies, they're usually not related to the infant that they adopt. They take care of them, not just for a few days, but sometimes for five years or two years or five years. So it's a real adoption. And I wanted to show that is because this is the potential of male care for offspring, which I think in our species is even more developed than in, in bonobos and chimpanzees because we evolved nuclear families. So they didn't evolve nuclear families. The males are not fathers involved in the care for offspring, but we evolved that sort of system. And so I'm sure that in our species, these paternal tendencies are much better developed. And so this whole nonsense of that care for offspring is not naturally present in the males, I think, is, uh, is nonsense. Another potential Professor Duvall finds among primates is gender variability. One instance he cites is Donna, a chimpanzee female who looks and acts decidedly masculine. She had female genitalia, she had the long hair and the physical build of a male. She hangs out with males from very young. She is mostly asexual, she's not interested in sex really, and she's mostly peaceful. And so Donna, from very young, I, I've known her since she was a little baby like this, three years old, she, um, she liked to play with males. She likes to do this wrestling game that the males do all the time. The adult males normally don't play with young females, but in the case of Donna, they did, which already showed that she was different from the rest. And uh, from that time on, she, she developed into a male-like character. So from, a, from a distance, she looked like a male, and she hung out with the males, and she acted like a male, even though she was non-aggressive in most ways. And so uh, I cannot ask her her identity, sexual identity, but... Um, I think she acted like a male and she behaved like a male. And she was extremely well integrated. That's another thing that's very interesting is that we do have individuals who are more homosexual than heterosexual. That's quite, actually quite common in the primates and, and in the bonobo, I would say they don't have a preference for one gender or the other. So we do have that kind of individuals. We have individuals like Donna. We have males who don't play the macho game, even though they're big adult males. They don't want to be involved in status struggles and they stay out of them. And so we have all these exceptions, all this variability, and I've never noticed that the primates are intolerant of it. So that's a big difference with the human society, is that they have generally no trouble with it, and Donna was extremely well integrated and well accepted in our group. So the, the gender diversity, as we usually call it, uh, I think if we start looking for it, because scientists haven't really looked for it, we like typical behavior more than atypical behavior, if we start looking for it, we will see tons of it. Along with gender diversity, another long-overlooked gender potential among primates is female leadership. Although psychology textbooks often assert that males are more hierarchical than females, Professor Duvall says that received knowledge is nonsense. It's just different. Ask any alpha female. All animals that I know 
have female hierarchies and with an alpha female on top. The word pecking order comes from hens, not from roosters. And so um, female hierarchies are found everywhere. And I think women are just as sensitive to status differences as men are. But people say these things. And we have alpha females all over the, the primate world. And even in a species like the chimpanzee, which is male dominated, the alpha female is very important. And I think you always need to make a distinction between physical dominance, which in the chimpanzee is the males, and power, which can be many individuals, can be these old males, or can be mama, the female uh, chimpanzee. And, and in my last book, Mama's Last Hug, I write about her leadership and how she expressed that. And then in the bonobos, of course, we have the situation that the alpha female is alpha over everyone, including the males. And so female leadership is really not hard to find in the primate world. And, and I think um, we do need to make a distinction between physical dominance, which is a different thing, I think, from power. The ground truth, says Professor Duvall, is that it all comes back to the basic nature versus nurture dynamic, which is another false binary. Nature and nurture are inextricable and ever-evolving. And of course, although there are close evolutionary ties between humans and apes, we've also evolved autonomously for millions of years. That evolutionary branching has obviously led humans onto our own unique pathway. Going ape only goes so far. That ineffable mystery of continuous evolutionary transformation of the nature-nurture dance is nevertheless deeply relevant to our human quest for gender equality on the masculine-feminine continuum. Gender and sex are different things, and it's very useful to distinguish them because one is the cultural side, the other one the biological side. They're always connected. So when people disconnect them, that happens, of course, that people say gender is purely cultural. There is nothing in, in our life that is purely cultural. There's also nothing that is purely natural. And so uh, I think they always remain connected. I think gender, I haven't talked about that, but I think the gender concept is applicable to other primates. You know, a chimpanzee or bonobo is adult when they're 16 years old. So they have an enormous long lifetime in which they pick up all sorts of behavior, including they model themselves on, on adults and pick up their behavior. And so the gender concept, a cultural transmission of sex-typical behavior, let's say, is applicable to the other primates. I think there are uh, behavioral sex differences. I've mentioned, of course, the, the play behavior of the young, uh, but there are other behavioral sex differences that we share across all these species and uh, that, that are grounded in our biology. And uh, finally, there are behavioral potentials that we don't always get to see, but that are clearly present and that blur these uh, sex differences that we see and that we should pay attention to, especially uh, given that we would like to uh, change society. And the last thing I want to say about that is that of the term uh, gender inequality that we often use, which is a problem in society, and gender inequality is real uh, and existing and is more in favor, of course, of, of males than females. We have focused this thing on the wrong part of the equation. Gender inequality, we have focused on gender. We've said, there's something wrong with gender. Uh, let's go gender neutral. Let's, let's abolish gender. Let's not pay too much atten attention to it or, or reduce it or the gender differences. And I think the problem is really in the word inequality. It's the inequality and the injustice associated with it that is the problem. It's not gender itself that's necessarily the problem. But people have turned that into the problem that they want to fight. 
And I thank you for your attention. Franz Duval, busting the myth of primate patriarchy, the nature of sex and gender in our ape relatives. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Kenny Ausubel. Senior producer and station relations, Stephanie Welch. Program engineer and music supervisor, Emily Harris. Producer, Teo Grossman. Host and consulting producer, Neil Harvey. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. This is program number 251.